Hi guys, it's Julie Verhage Greenberg here again with your Tux Time podcast brought to you by FinTech Today, where we of course talk about all things FinTech. Today I'm joined by Koki Hasiotis of Lasagna Technology, who's going to be with us on a fairly regular basis. Koki, how are you? I'm great, Julie. How are you? I am good. It's uh, it's the snow's finally melting in New York, so that makes me happy. <laughs> I actually drove out in what I thought was the snow yesterday, and then it turned into a torrential rainstorm. Yes. So I was very much enjoying that. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my husband went to work in sneakers yesterday, and obviously did not read the weather report. So yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so we have an interesting one to start off with here, and I, I want to build it out in terms of just like broader um, rebranding topics because TransferWise, which is a company that most of us are probably pretty familiar with on just a currency transfer basis, is one of the uh, more prominent forms to transfer money from the U.S. to the U.K. to Africa, wherever it may be, without these crazy fees that you would probably have to pay using a bunch of other platforms like banks and whatnot. Uh, Yesterday, they announced they are rebranding to Wise and not TransferWise. And it sounds like it's a lot to do with the fact that they are more than a currency transfer system at this point. So having the transfer in the name obviously had that connotation. But what are your thoughts? This is a decade-old company that is deciding to go ahead and rebrand themselves. Yeah, I don't know that I love it, to be honest. Um, I will say that I am a, I would consider myself a super user of TransferWise, having moved back and forth to the UK for most of my adult life. Oh, cool. Um, especially because, like, in my first year of university in Scotland, my parents would wire me money, and it would cost them, like, 600 bucks to send me money for the semester. So they started, like, padding me with cash. There were no solutions. There mm-hmm. were literally no solutions. So I'm, I love TransferWise um, as a product. Um, I do think that... They are encompassing more than what they initially set out to do, but I, I kind of think like if the name is household, keep the name. Yeah, I kind of agree. Like I'm trying to think of any other. I mean, Google changed to what Alphabet, and that was a big rebranding. You know, decades plural after they were founded. But you still um, call it Google, it, like, we all and still Alphabet's call it Google. just a shell company. Hmm. And Google so I, still is Google. Right. And I don't see people referring to TransferWise as wise in the future. I still, like, I have no plans to stop calling it TransferWise. Like, it's it's TransferWise to me. Even though I've never used it, like, I'm just familiar with it. So I can only imagine as someone that's used the product before that you're definitely going to just, you're so used to it. Yeah, they started issuing bank accounts, I don't know, a year ago, two years mm-hmm. ago with their borderless account, which I love and use. Um I wonder if they're going to have to send out new cards that just say wise. Oh, that's an interesting question because that would also be another cost associated with it, right? Because sending out a new card isn't free. And what else is going to be weird is that there's already a wise fintech in mm-hmm. the United States, which will be issuing cards with their name on it. So that could get a little weird for those of us in the weeds on fintech. But right. um, I suspect it won't be too big of a problem. I don't know. It just seems, I mean, I get it because the they're, they're <laughs> one of the companies that's like a rumored big IPO to happen this year. Who knows it'll, if it'll be an IPO or one of these other forms of things that we're doing. Um, but I, I, I think the 
the reasoning to do it now versus a year ago or a year from now is just that with the upcoming IPO, when they go on a road show or do any other presentations and market themselves to the public and other investors, that they're going to want to make it clear that they do things other than just you know, basic currency transfers. And I say basic, it's very complicated, but like just that one thing. Um, but I, I wonder, like, why does it make such a big difference to call yourself wise versus transfer wise in those meetings and in those investor updates? It's like, if you tell people that you do more than currency transfers, that was just like your main product when you started off, because it was a really big issue for a lot of people. I still think they're going to give you the same sort of valuation. You're going to see the same kind of interest regardless of what your name is. What do you think? I wonder if they just couldn't get the ticker they wanted for TransferWise <laughs> and decided well, to rebrand like as Wise. TNFW or something yeah. and now they can just be Wise? <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that's literally it. That's so funny. That's so I mean, funny. I'm I mean, maybe they'll end up just doing a SPAC or something instead. Like, who knows? They, they, could, they could merge with another company. I'm going to search for the ticker WISE on public and see if anything <laughs> comes up. Nope, I'm 100% sure that's it. You guys can hold me to that. Uh, let me know when they go public if I'm wrong. Uh, I'm happy to do whatever is requested of me at that time. That's so funny. So they can't do a SPAC then because then it would be some random weird name. They just merge with another company and you it, like transfer WISE would essentially be dead. Yeah, I mean, I, here's my thing on rebranding. Uh, I've been called Koki since I was a baby. It came before my given name, Ekaterina, Catherine in English. Mm, right, right, right. Um, I remember you telling me this once. When I was 18, I tried to rebrand to Catherine. I'll tell you that it lasted two weeks. I had no idea who anyone was talking about, and <laughs> I got very confused. So I can't imagine doing it on a company scale. Yeah, I wonder if like someone's going to go up to the TransferWise CEO and be like, hey, you're the TransferWise CEO, or you're the Y <laughs> CEO, and they're going to get confused too. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they had to maybe during the like due diligence process and the the time leading up to this they just had to get used to calling themselves that and referring themselves to that because they're going to do interviews on tv with people yeah. at bloomberg cnbc and they're still gonna like oh here at TransferWise, we do such and such but no, yeah. actually we're wise <laughs> i wonder if they have like a swear jar version of that <laughs> um speaking of TransferWise going public uh Let's talk about SPACs generally. Yeah. I know this has been an, an area of interest for you that you keep diving into. Um, and most of what I know about SPACs, I learned from you. So, Oh, that's that's scary. You need to learn from, from other people. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it here, though. SPACs are something that's been around forever. And I always thought with this really weird thing. And then all of a sudden, they started taking off. And at first, it wasn't really any fintech companies doing it. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of fintech companies are doing it because Chamath Papatia, former like Facebook early stage and Facebook employee and invests in a bunch of other things too. started like pumping up all of these companies. And now there's a bunch of um, them using this to go public versus a traditional IPO route or even a direct listing route. Um, And I I find it fascinating. And I, I have a lot of theories on like the pros and the cons of these. So Apex Clearing is the most recent one to do that. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because it was actually the clearing company for Robinhood before Robinhood made their own clearing house. Um, and it's still the clearing house for SoFi. Marcus uses it, I believe, and a few other ones as well. So if you trade stocks on SoFi, um, Apex is the one that is doing the clearing and the settlement for you. 
Um, so they're the most recent one to do it. But we've seen a bunch of other ones too. Um, we've had, let me see, I had this list here. So Open Door is a really big one. That's one that Chamath, I believe, was um, a part of. They're a company in the real estate tech um, space. Um, so you can argue that like that's not entirely fintech. I argue that real estate is fintech. Um, SoFi is another one. We mentioned that. I think that. that's a different, uh, that's going to have to be a different episode. <laughs> I know that'll be a whole episode in itself. Um, Money Lion is one that is trying to do this. I believe there is a lawsuit now around it. Um, Payoneer is another one that used this. I'm sure there's other ones too. Those were just some of the main ones that, um, came to mind. And what we're working on a research report around this right now, sort of diving into better explain what a SPAC is, what the differences are. And also, we're going to look at data on how SPAC companies, companies that use SPACs to go public, rather, are performing versus their traditional IPO. And I have a feeling that they're not performing as well simply because companies like Affirm that went public via traditional IPO, Lemonade, um, and many others, saw their shares skyrocket when they went public. Mm. And I don't think there's been that same um aspect to the SPAC market I could be wrong but I don't think they've seen like that massive of a jump I think they've done well but just not like exceptionally well like some of these other ones have done uh, but I, I think the pros of it is that it's much easier and much quicker for these companies to go public via a SPAC the con is that there's just not as much due diligence and I think we've had a personal conversation about this before it's just when you're doing an IPO all of these investors are doing so much due diligence on the company to truly figure out what the value is. When you're doing a SPAC, you're essentially just relying on Shamath or whoever else is merging your company together to take it public is saying that you should be valued at and like sort of being like a celebrity or an influencer promoting your platform and telling people that, oh my God, like this company is great. You should buy this SPAC. The return's going to be awesome, blah, 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 versus you doing a little bit more of that for yourself. Um, what have you bought? I know you bought Lemonade when it went public. Have you bought any of these packs when they went public? You did uh, for like a second. You bought one IPO company when it went public. So you've bought IPO companies. Have you ever I've bought done a, a SPAC IPOs IPO? This year. Not that I'm aware of. Um, the last IPO I bought was obviously a firm. Mm-hmm. Um, I skipped DoorDash and Airbnb, and I don't think I did any of the SPACs. Got it. And also is there, while is you there were a talking, reason? Was, was it just that like you liked the IPO companies better, or is there some hesitancy just around it being a SPAC? Uh no, there wasn't there wasn't a conscious reason for not buying a SPAC IPO. Like if Plaid goes public via SPAC where there's a lot of pub mm-hmm. uh, like what's the word I'm looking for? There's a lot of speculation around yes, that. If Plaid go. will go public <laughs> via a SPAC, I will hundred percent be buying that with right. all of the money I have. Um, if Stripe were to do it, same thing. It doesn't really matter to me how some of these companies go public. It's just I have an interest in these companies, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think that I, I'm, I'm willing to say that I'm for or against SPACs at this point. I yeah, think I just, think... They just are another vehicle to something that was previously insurmountable, and that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think it may be part of my hesitancy around it is that it does seem that these companies we know so well and – have this connotation around them just being better companies are the ones that are still using a traditional IPO or direct listing. Whereas companies that we don't know as well, like Apex could be a good business. We just don't really know it as well. SoFi is 
a, not, it's a decent business. It's not as good of a business as what a firm would be in many instances, though. So for me, it just seems like the B League is the one using the SPACs, whereas this A League is the one still using the traditional route. And that's what makes me a little bit more skeptical of the SPACs. So I mean, far. that said, I would probably buy it Apex. Um, I have, I'm obviously pretty familiar with them from my years in capital markets. And right. I'm pretty pro clearing houses, especially because of the amount of innovation they can do, but mm-hmm. haven't yet done. Um, I don't know. Yeah, probably will, to be honest. Yeah. It's a good business and it's a consistent business. Fair. Well, we'll have you back on to talk about that once they go public <laughs> via a SPAC and we can talk about your investment and the process around it. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, we have time for one last topic. So I, my husband actually found this story for us yesterday. Apparently. Thank you, Jordan. Yes, he did. My lovely husband, Jordan, the father to Tux, uh, the the puppy that the podcast is named after. I'm upset. Uh, Tux is mine. Cokie's BFF. <laughs> um, but anyway, so LinkedIn is apparently working on a digital wallet. And one of the ways that it plans to use this is by letting freelancers and other gig workers Apply for jobs through LinkedIn, which isn't nor- which isn't unusual, but to also get paid through LinkedIn. So LinkedIn would sort of be like a payroll provider in a way, I suppose, or maybe they're just creating a wallet where like your Square payroll or whatever payroll provider you do use, like gives it to you in LinkedIn versus a Chase Bank or something. I find this fascinating. That could be a really big market just given the size of the gig economy and the amount of payments that are happening to those types of folks, especially if LinkedIn can make this payment like every day, every week, something that's more rapid versus uh, what oftentimes for consultants and others, you get paid like once or twice a month. Yeah, so um, I'm very interested in this, obviously, for for reasons that are should be apparent to the listener. But obviously, I started consulting last year. I'm, I'm pretty interested in this model. Um, <laughs> I'm interested in this uh, from two perspectives. If they're going to do it, like you said, like, oh, we'll connect into all these different things and the payments will Mm -hmm. land with you, or if they're going to build a platform of their own. So this is a problem many people are working on. Uh, Notably, my favorite example of this is Archie. Um, They're a platform that works with brands to help pay freelancers faster because net 30 is the death of all freelancers. Um, I'll give you an example. I submitted an invoice for work completed in November. It was paid this morning. Wow. Um, and just to the listener, we are recording this on Tuesday, February 23. So that's that's a while. <laughs> yeah, and that's not unusual. Um, the the best I get is net 30. Um, mm-hmm. And in the early days of my, if I had to have touched those accounts, I ended up not touching those accounts. But if I, if I was living off those accounts... I would have been screwed. Like, it would have been like, oh, okay, well, I guess I can't pay rent this month. Cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people are. And a lot of people aren't, like, in terms of, like, understanding where their money's coming from and how fast it takes, aren't as savvy as me, right? Um, So I was... I'm concerned about that aspect, but very positive if they decide to, like, negate that network 30 and, and forward payments. That would be really sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, like Archie does, but you know, it's LinkedIn, so I won't hold my breath. Yeah. 
I mean, maybe you apply for a consulting gig through a LinkedIn when it <laughs> pops up, and then you can also be a test case for not only buying a SPAC, but using mm. LinkedIn's digital wallet. <laughs> I wouldn't hold your breath on that either, because uh, I'm still trying to get through the wait list of emails that are trying to get onboarded into lasagna. So <laughs> give me a minute, and I'll try it. I'll give you a hot sec. I'll give you a hot sec. <laughs> um, but I do find it fascinating. Just I remember researching... Um, the payment space for a venture capital firm that I was uh, working as sort of a consultant over the summer for. And a lot of the things you had to take, keep in mind is just the way, like where people are putting their money. It's no longer like just a typical bank account. It's often these wallets, like a square cash or cash app, I should say, um, in PayPal, in a LinkedIn wallet, if they launch that, a Google wallet, etc. Um, and how that aspect is changing because even in other countries, stuff like that is happening, right? It's not just the U.S. where these wallets are coming out. Like you go to Asia and they're having things like this. I believe even India has some stuff like this happening. Um, so I think that'll be a really fascinating trend to watch even over just the next like three to five years, let alone the next decade. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of looked to, to China, India, Korea, etc. Um, to base my, my theories and, and trend. Um, and we basically get most of our modern functionality of Cash App, etc. from WeChat. So I tend to think like everything is kind of going that way and eventually we'll all get paid into whatever our version of WeChat will be. Whether mm -hmm. that's iMessage, even though it sucks, or WhatsApp, even though most Americans don't use it. Um, I think there's going to be something there. Yeah, no, I agree. And it, it's even just fascinating to see how it's changed over the last year, given that I think COVID accelerated a lot of it because more people wanted to use their phones versus using cash or even a credit card. Um, so just seeing how that trend continues, because I don't think we're going back to people that started using their phones fairly religiously aren't going to all of a sudden start using cash again. Like they might start using it a little bit more, but we've been in this pandemic for a year plus now. I think these habits that people have formed are going to stick. Yeah, I find that uh, in New York, I see people use cash for two reasons, to get their nails done in the first mm -hmm. instance and to buy drugs in the second. And I don't <laughs> see that changing. And I some of those even do it on Venmo. So both can be done on Venmo now. So like, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't see that happening. Yeah, I think the last time I used cash is by uh, my chiropractor accepted my former health insurance, did not accept my new health insurance. So she's like, hey, if you pay in cash, like I can give you a discount and stuff like that. But otherwise, I never, never I used cash. I paid in cash for these nails. but Oh, they look good too. And now you have that fancy ring on your finger, so you got to keep the nails <laughs> looking good. <laughs> That's not, it's so much pressure. <laughs> so much pressure. I remember that too, the first few months that I was engaged. Uh, for those that don't know, Koki got engaged in December, so it's very new. And her nails look amazing this morning. They're a nice blue color. Black. Um, oh, black, actually. That like actually fits much better. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I remember doing that probably for like a solid three or four months. I was like, I've got to keep these babies looking really nice. And then it kind of fades off a little bit. They still well, look I'm glad to hear that because I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're a busy person. You've got all this consulting and you're building a startup. Like you got a lot on your plate. Yeah. And I still have to like eat every day. There's so many things to do. Mm -hmm. That's why we appreciate you coming on our podcast so much, Koki. It means a lot to us. Tux I would never say it. no to you. I would never say no to Tux. That's, I was going to say that the saying no to me, you would do. Saying no to Tux, you would never do. <laughs> it's true. 
Um, but speaking of tux, that is all we have for this episode of Tux Time. Join me again Monday next week uh, when I am joined by Frank Rotman of QED as our first guest on the podcast, or I should say less regular guest. Um, so a lot of interesting stuff on there. We'll dive in. He was one of the first investors in Credit Karma, SoFi, a bunch of other companies too. So I'm excited to get his thoughts on what's going on in this space. But I literally cannot wait to listen to that. Right? No, I mean, his, <laughs> his Twitter handle is FinTech Junkie. You can't get any better than that. No, you can't. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for today. Like I said, thank you so much, Koki. We will see you again in in a week. Thanks, Julie. See you next week. Bye.